Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, a podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. Let's talk about something that's near the holidays. This is kind of interesting. Let me just quote from a website here. The road to 2024 may be an uphill battle, but the animals need us now more than ever. The animals need us. So you've got people doing drugs on the streets of Portland, but somebody wants to, a a lot of somebodies want to pass a bill to basically make meat illegal, it sounds like to me. Uh, We're talking about Initiative Petition 3 uh, is is an idea at this point, but it's on its way to becoming a ballot measure people will get to vote on. I assume you have a multitude of opinions on this particular initiative. No, I have one. I have one opinion. Hell no. I, I am as big a supporter of critters, both wild critters and domestic critters, as anybody you're going to find. Um, we have always had shelter cats, and um, and uh, they're probably at home lounging on the bed even as we speak. But this IP3 is is symptomatic of what's happening in Oregon. We have a relatively easy path to our ballot, and people conjure up these bizarre ballot titles that ostensible, well, ballot measure 110 was one of them, treatment or punishment. Well, any person with a degree of humanity says for drug addicts, treatment. And so based on very little, it appears, independent research or very little contemplation of the downstream consequences of what the legalization of drugs would do in this state, the voters passed that. So it's the same thing. Do we want to be nice to our friends, the animals, or do we want to eat them and kill them? And um, Oregon has a very robust cattle industry. We have lots of sheep producers. We have um, uh, an economy based on agriculture that includes uh, raising chickens and eggs and, and swine. Uh, and if all of those economies that, oh, by the way, feed this nation and the world are taken away and this kind of attitude proliferates, we're all going to be out eating dandelion tops. And um, uh, it, it's an economic question. It is a, um, it, it's a philosophy that is a nationally grown philosophy that we're going to try out in Oregon because those guys in Oregon will vote for anything. I have not studied the ballot measure in depth, but I would question whether or not it would include the ability to humanely euthanize um, an, an old, sick dog. Um, none of us would want to see an animal suffer. I, I know that I've had to to put down a couple of cats and I can almost sit here and sob thinking about it. Uh, but I don't know. And I need to study the details of what the ballot measure proposes. If it's such that you can't humanely euthanize an old, sick, beloved pet, uh, this has really gone too far. This is um, extreme in the to the maximum degree. And so um, it remains to be seen whether they'll they'll get the signatures, but I can almost hear the pitch standing out in front of a grocery store. You know, do you love animals? Why, yes, I do. Do you want to see them treated well? Why, yes, I do. Then sign here. And what they don't know is that as you're going into the grocery store, if that passes, you've just wiped out the meat counter. Well, not I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, having read their website for about two minutes while we were talking. But I will tell you that veterinary practices are exempt 
from this bill. So okay. that would mean euthanization is still allowed, as is self-defense. However, there's plenty here to be concerned about, regardless of whether those two things are in it or not. Uh, hunters, fishers, uh, farmers. I mean, this hits a lot of the population. And I don't know why they can't just let the marketplace decide. I mean, you know, Burger King and other fast food places are already offering plant options, but they're an option. Some people don't want to be vegetarian. Why is that not okay? Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Thank you for educating me. And I said as a preamble to my comments, I have not studied this. And before we talk about it again, I better have read it with more care. But I questioned uh, whether or not it would uh, allow veterinary care. And thank you for clearing that up for me. Absolutely. But the one thing uh, we both know, having been, been through any number of ballot measures in Oregon, just because they say it doesn't do something doesn't mean it doesn't. That is exactly correct. And these these ballot measures, uh, apropos ballot measure 110 uh, and this one, are getting more and more and more extreme, paid for by out-of-state interests that are advancing a national agenda. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens with this one, because if it does get to the ballot, I can't imagine people would pass this. Well, <laughs> then again, <laughs> then again, welcome to Oregon. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, uh, uh, but this has a ways to go in the process yet. They got to go out and gather signatures and all that sort of stuff. It's just uh, at the, and, and if people want to go check it out, uh, they can go look at yesonip3.org. That's their website. And they can go read what, what is intended. Because I, personally, I think when you're trying to make a decision on a, an initiative, whatever it might be, you got to look at as many sources as you can possibly look at and don't just believe their website and just don't believe the people you hear on TV. You got to do a little research, I think. I completely agree. Well, let's head to downtown Portland and talk about the police. The last time uh, we spoke, uh, you talked about an option of a former Port of Portland building being a possibility for some office space or administrative space for the Portland Police Bureau. And now you're telling me that ain't going to happen. Well, I haven't gotten a whole lot of traction. I have lifted it up in the real estate community. The building is owned by a company on the East Coast. And so I have not talked to any of the police brass. We've had a changeover in our police chief. I just thought it was an intriguing notion that you take a building that is in the heart of some of the worst drug abuse, homeless vandalism, and you fill it full of police. And um, th that we have several precincts. We've got a North Precinct, Central Precinct. Um, this would not cause the elimination of Central Precinct because I know many of the things in that building are unique to a police station and are, would cost an enormous amount to replicate. But if some of their administrative functions and some of their patrol functions could move to another building that is in a high crime area, would that, and I'm asking the question rhetorically, would that have a, a chilling effect on the amount of crime? The other thing that's happening right now, and it's an idea that I understand Commissioner Renee Gonzalez, who sits on the Portland City Council, is exploring, is that Portland is changing its system of governance that will move us uh, up uh, to have a number more commissioners. All of those commissioners need office space, space for their staff. They need a bigger council room. They need a variety of things. So do they re-engineer and renovate an old building that has a finite amount of square footage, 
or could the city's mothers and fathers look at moving some of that office space into the class A space that has fled from office space that has fled from downtown Portland? And instead of all of those people being in city hall, that you actually move the administrative functions of uh, Portland city government to some of this vacant but very desirable class A office space. And so I've tried that out on a couple of people. I understand Commissioner Gonzalez, who is in the position to be able to get his colleagues to even consider a concept like this, has been working on it. I wish him nothing but the best. And I think common sense would say, instead of at tremendous public expense, rebuilding a kind of tired, older building, why not maybe look at a whole new model? I think it's not where where you sit, it's what you think and what you do that matters in the discharge of government uh, policy and administration. And what difference would it make if there was a little shuttle bus that went around and picked these guys up and brought them down to City Hall if that's where they wanted their council chambers to be? Or could you take a building, for example, like this old Port of Portland building that had magnificent public chambers. I don't know if they were changed by subsequent owners, but uh, when the Port of Portland had that building, I testified in their in their council chambers on many occasions. So folks may not know, Portland, it always struck me as kind of weird, their city government, because not only are you a city council, you're also head of certain agencies. I don't know how usual that is because I haven't lived in every city in the country, but it just seemed weird to me. And I'm wondering going forward, does that continue to be the case and they have more commissioners, do they then piece up various city agencies to coincide with those commissioners too, or what? No, they actually have a public administrator who handles the operations of the bureaus rather than having elected and sometimes elected with no experience uh, commissioners running these complicated bureaus like the police, like uh, other public safety functions, like water uh, and sewer. And so this way you would have a professional public administrator uh, rather than chunking up the bureaus into ever smaller little pieces where more commissioners could fight over more um, administration of those bureaus. You now would have a trained professional with expertise in, in city governance. So like a city manager, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, and, and so as you worked with Portland over your political career, did you find this system to be, the, the old system to be workable? Did it seem to be a good system? Because it didn't to me, but maybe you had a different experience. I did not have a different experience. I didn't engage that much in Portland, but when I did, it's very problematic uh, to, to sort of run from one place to the next place to the next place. And um and try to figure out how do I get something through and what happens if the two commissioners that handle two different bureaus that you're involved in don't like each other and they have different ideas about how things ought to go forward. It's a cumbersome system when you have ostensibly amateurs. Now, there are notable exceptions, but you have ostensibly amateurs that are elected and come in and take over these huge bureaus with all of their um, their information technology problems, their personnel issues, blah, 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 blah. And so this way, at least you begin to professionalize the administration of the functions of a municipal government. 
um, I, I dealt much more with city councils and county commissioners of the five counties that I represented, six arguably, if you count one county that had one house in Senate District 16. But I, I dealt much more with that level of government. So how do you think this new form of government's going to work? It doesn't sound like it's going to work very well to me. I think it's going to be an absolute disaster. And I think that the way that the the commission that looked at how to restructure it, the, how the table was set, portended this disaster. And then once again, I think people voted for it because they looked at their ballot and went, God almighty, it can't be worse than it is now. Let's try something different. Well, surprise, surprise. I think you just got something worse than it is now. And then you, you compound the problem in Portland by the fact that the city council and the county commission don't get along, fight with each other all the time, sabotage each other's programs. It's a mess. And is all the dear old citizens are asking for is functional, effective, cost-effective government. And stop all this fighting and planning and thinking about stuff and forming learned task forces. And uh, these learned task forces just rename the problem over and over again. Stop spending money renaming the problem. Spend the money on affecting some uh, outcomes that alleviate the concerns of the citizenry of Multnomah County and Portland. How do you think it's going to affect your efforts to get ballot measure 110 changed? I think that to change ballot measure 110, which was a voter approved um, measure, that the legislature will have to act. Uh, and I think probably um, a lot of the municipalities uh, will play a very aggressive game of duck and cover and blame it on the legislature. The legislature won't do anything. Some counties will have passed ordinances seeking repeal uh, and we will continue to fragment and can and people will continue to to use fentanyl and die on the streets. I, I, I think we're in a, a doom loop. Um, and until somebody stands up and says this is this is untenable, uh, it's not going to change much. It was interesting going back to my ill-fated gubernatorial race that when the three candidates were doing interviews on television stations and we were asked questions from the audience and from the moderators about where we stood on ballot measure 110, two of us, Christine Drazen, the Republican, and Betsy Johnson, the non-affiliated, said repeal it. Tina said give it more time. And so Tina is on record, our, our current governor, Governor Kotek, is on record as saying it's a, it's a good thing. And um, I have been very consistent in saying it's a bad thing. I campaigned against it. I voted against it and it passed. And so I now feel some degree of moral obligation to try to un undo the snake ball that ballot measure 110 is. And to that end, I am expending a fair amount of time um, in that uh, enterprise. And how would you say it's going as we sit here in mid-November 2023? I would say that the legislature is going to weasel out and not do anything. Apropos my earlier comments that they're going to say you can't use on the streets and maybe we'll nibble around the edges of, of confiscation, but they're going to get into legal problems with that right away. Business is screaming for reform. Um, citizens, neighborhood groups, uh, downtown property owners uh, are screaming for help. 
and I think our very woke, very progressive legislature is is going to find themselves unable to fix it, at least based on the comments that I have heard recently in the public media. Uh, I think leadership, the Democrats are are going to block the way of any meaningful reform to ballot measure 110. And, and since you've been involved in this effort, I imagine you've had a lot of interaction with not just the Bybee Lakes Hope Center that we've talked about any number of times on this podcast, but other places as well that serve the homeless and the elderly and the disenfranchised and whatever. Um, so I'm curious if you're noticing uh, a lot of pulling back from the community at large because of the taxes, because of the homelessness, uh, because of the confusion, just because of the way the world is right now. And as especially as we get close to Thanksgiving, you know, that's typically a time when people's hearts open up. Have you seen that change this year? At oh, all? God, yes. Uh, and uh, let's start with the number of people that have fled Multnomah County. I was at a fundraising event at the end of last week, and a woman with tears in her eyes said, um, we have two children. They go to uh, high school in downtown Portland. Um, we can't we can't stay here anymore. Uh, we pay more and more and more in taxes. It is I worry about my children walking to the bus stop. Um, we're going to leave and they will be joining other um, productive, smart, young, entrepreneurial, energetic people that are exactly the kind of citizenry that any um, good community wants to see stay and flourish in their environs. Uh, then the other thing you see are people that are very philanthropic and have had a track record of philanthropy. And we go to them to ask for their support, particularly in the homeless uh, space. And they say, hell no, you're, you're gouging me on the taxes and the situation is getting worse. So now my philanthropic money is going to my taxes and you're not fixing this at all. And so we're seeing a, a, a fleeing of exactly the cohort of people that you would want in a vibrant um, place to live. You're seeing the tried and true philanthropists that are uh, the backbone of many of these organizations saying no, nothing's getting fixed and we're sick of watching government fight and I've got a tent right outside my door, so no. Um, you're also seeing the effect uh, of inflation and a lot of just the economic malaise cutting into people's ability to give, not necessarily their desire to give. Uh, I was, I refer to myself affectionately as the money honey at a charitable auction that raises money for career and technical scholarships for high school kids. And I was really surprised uh, in a small community how deeply people dug into their wallets uh, to, um, to help fund these scholarships. And it wasn't that there were magnificent donors shouldering the lion's share of the burden of, of uh, giving money. It was a lot of littler donors that stepped up and said, we got to help the kids in this community. The scholarships were raised in a small community and they stay in that small community benefiting kids that are going to high school there. And um, so there still is donative intent because I generally think Oregonians are generous and eager to help lift up the human condition. But the tax situation and the lack of demonstrated results has had a profound chilling effect on people's desire to stay here 
and their desire to pitch in to pay for services that don't seem to be doing any good. Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at BetsyJohnson.com.